Last week we looked at verses 8 through 15 and we looked at the communal aspect that Paul was eager to be with other Christians to be a blessing but also to receive a blessing to share and be shared with and we need each other as a body in order to to continue to grow in grace and godliness and understanding the gospel each person 1 Peter 4:10 says each of each person has received a gift and we are to employ that gift and to to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms God has graced us gifted us not only to bless us, but for us to be a blessing to others. And we, we saw in verse 15 that because of this confidence, Paul was eager to preach the gospel. He wanted to come to Rome, to the believers there, to preach the gospel. And, that, and that's really the crux of what we see here in verses 16 and 17. And really that's the main point for today. You see it on your handout. Paul was eager. The word there is eager. He was eager to share the gospel because he completely believed it to be the power of God to salvation for everyone who believed. From Jew to Greek, a salvation that comes through faith and the work of God in Christ alone. And therefore, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. What what we see here in, in these verses is technically part of the introduction to the letter of Romans. But we find a shift from Paul's call to ministry to the very essence of his ministry, what he set out to do. And here in verses 16 and 17, we see why Paul was eager to come to Rome to share the gospel. And he gives us in 16 and 17 the four reasons why he was eager to come. And in verse 16 today, We will only look at the first two as I I had every intention of looking at 16 and 17 today. And I mean, and it just it was too much. It was too much. And uh, trying to be cognizant even of time as well. And just it would not have worked out well for time. And so I think even for the weight of what we're going to look at today, I I think it's, it's a wise decision. But Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because he knew its power. He knew its sufficiency. And, and this really is the crux of the letter. This is the argument that Paul will build up and he will defend in the rest of the letter of Romans. He, what he tells us in verses 16 and 17, really he will dig into and expound deeper in the rest of the letter. It will take him the rest of the letter to unpack the statements that he gives here in verses 16 and 17. Why was he so eager to preach the gospel. And here in 16 and 17, he gives the answer. Paul knew the sufficiency. He knew the power. He knew that in it, as we'll see next week, Lord willing, that righteousness of God is revealed. And, and we'll dig into this. And, but notice there, he could have said a lot of things. The gospel maybe reveal a lot of things. And I think in our world, we would fill that in differently. The gospel reveals God's love. The gospel reveals my worth. All these things we fill in. Listen to me. Known the gospel reveals God's righteousness. Very clear. Listen, the reason people don't go to heaven is because they're not righteous. Good. It's not about being good. It's not about being good enough. It, it's it's this. Are you righteous? 
Jesus said in Matthew 5, 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Pharisees, very outwardly religious, very good, if you will. In Matthew 5, 48, it says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That, that really is another way of saying you've got to be righteous. The, the, issue, the issue for you and I as sinners, the issue for the world as sinners is this. You are not righteous in and of yourself. This is what Paul will dig into in Romans 3. You're not righteous. There are none righteous. And Paul will go further and say, look, there's none that's, do, there's none that's even good. He'll say, go further, there's none that even seeks good. Be, be careful. Even today, oh, seeker friendly, seeker this, hey, Paul says there's none that seek. Be careful. Be careful to not belittle our sin. Be careful to not lessen our sin. We're not righteous of and of ourselves. Even, even what I read in Philippians Three, our salvation that is not from works of the law. It is a righteousness that is gifted, not earned. And Paul is, is going to explain that. And he knew the gospel to be that. And therefore, he was eager to preach it. He was not ashamed. And right here, he'll, he'll break down. Again, he's explaining why he is so eager. When, when, when we really understand, when we're really convinced that this gospel is the only gospel, that this gospel is the only way that unrighteous people can be saved, we will be eager to share it when we really understand its sufficiency and its power. And that's what Paul says today. I am not ashamed. And so he begins to unpack again in 16 and 17 four reasons why he was not, why he was eager, why he was so eager to preach the gospel in spite of everything it cost him. Why was Paul so eager to continue to preach the gospel. And the first reason we see there in verse 16, Paul was not ashamed. His eagerness to share the gospel was rooted in the fact that he was not ashamed of the gospel. Paul lived in a culture where shame and honor ruled. It was a culture based heavily on shame and honor. These things were deeply ingrained reasons and motivations for how and why a person lived the way they lived. And yet Paul is saying that his pride is rooted in someone who died the death of a criminal. Paul's confidence, his eagerness, his pride was rooted in somebody that culture turned their back on in large part. Someone that they crucified as a liar, as a criminal, maybe even a lunatic. And yet Paul says, in spite of that, it is there that I boast. And listen to 1 Corinthians 1.18. Paul gives a very clear summary of the, of the culture, but also the way the world looks at our gospel. He says in verse 18 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Listen, the cross was foolishness to the rest of the world in Paul's day. I, I would say it's the same today. And the tendency in a, in a world like that would, to feel would be to feel shame. It would be to be quiet. Tone it down. Don't speak up. Cover it up. Make excuses to try to make it more palatable. 
Why would Paul build his entire life upon something that the world around him said was foolish? Why would Paul continue to persevere? Go to, in your own time, go to 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. Don't go there now. And look at what Paul endured, shipwreck, beatings, imprisonment. All, all, all meant to get him to shut up. All meant to get him to back down. All meant to get him to feel shame in this gospel that he built in tie his entire life. Why in the midst of all of that, why would he continue? Why would he say in Philippians, as he read, that he boasts in these things? Because he was confident in the gospel. You, you and I live in a culture that, that is not very different. Listen, we love winners. We love to associate ourselves with winners. Listen, why, why are things, when, when someone wins the Super Bowl, when somebody wins the championship, their, their apparel flies off the shelves. Why? Because we love to associate ourselves with winners. And, we, and listen carefully how people talk. When our teams win, what do we say? We won. We won. You know what happens when our team loses? They lost. Listen, you didn't do anything either way. But we love to associate ourselves with winners. The whole letter to Philippians is really Paul saying, understand my... Because they were, they were deserting Paul. He's in prison. And here's the rhetoric. If you were really of God, if you were really God's man, would you be in prison? Would you be sitting in jail? The whole letter, again, Philippians 1.12, we've said it. Paul says, for I don't want you to be unaware of my circumstances, brethren, that they have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Because for in my imprisonment for the cause of Christ, many now believe. Paul is clearing it up. We, we love winners. And one of the ways that our society, even today, Satan tries to get you to shut up, to heap shame on you because of the gospel, is to lie, is to use culture to pressure you into shutting up. Persecution. If we're all honest, listen to me. We are really good at boasting in what we're proud of. We have no problem with that. Why does social media, why is it so prevalent? Because we love to boast. It is, a, it is, it is simply a means of boasting, in, in large part. Nobody puts on there, I, had the wor- I am awful, I am a wretched sinner, let me tell you about how awful I am, my kid just flunked out of college, my, I just, nobody talks about this. All we do is we put the best of the best. Why? Pride. It, it's not a, the problem is not boasting. The problem is boasting in the right things. And the problem is, are we ashamed of the gospel? What does our lack of boasting about the gospel maybe speak to our shame in the gospel? The same threat that Paul faced is, for, is, is ever present in our lives today. To quiet down. To, to be, just to be quiet. No, not outwardly deny, but don't say a word. Shame, though. 
It's very interesting here that Paul's the opposite of being eager to preach the gospel. What does Paul say? Is shame. Shame. And, and there's a very real tendency, there's a very real threat in all of our lives. And, and listen to Mark 8. Jesus had very, very strong words. Listen to Mark 8. Jesus says, Forever, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory, in the glory of his Father and with holy angels. This is not something that was just isolated to Paul's day. If we're honest, we would agree, again, this is a threat. Why, why all the rhetoric? Why all the hate towards Christianity? They want you to shut up. They want to shame you in regards to the gospel. That when you stand up for sin, oh, you're just hateful. You're, a, you're, a, you're all, these, all this rhetoric that's, that's out there. They want to shame you. And against the backdrop, you see it on your handout, Against the backdrop of a culture that saw the gospel as foolishness, Paul was eager to preach the gospel because why? He had complete confidence in the gospel and its power. And again, our eagerness to share speaks to our pride. And our quietness, listen, our quietness speaks to our shame. And you see it on your handout, Satan in this world wants us to be ashamed into hiding the gospel versus actively standing upon it. Listen, one of the ways the world does it is is all roads lead to heaven. That's what the world says. Are, Are you so arrogant, Christian, to say that you have the right way? Yes, I am. Why? Because John 14, 6 says Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. One way. You know what the world will say? Oh, that's arrogant. How can you know the right way? Because God told me. Right here. Told me. But do we have confidence in it? Do we have confidence in it? That's the problem. It's not a matter of whether God said it. It's a point of do you have confidence in it? And the world wants to shame you into being quiet. There, There was a study this week. A study this week. They, they surveyed millennial Christians, so a generation, I guess, younger than me. Millennials, everybody's got to have a name. And, and listen, 74, these were Christians, supposed Christians. 74% of them, listen, said it is unloving to share your faith with someone who doesn't share your faith. Who's winning this battle in shame? Unloving? Uh, I would agree with them if they said it's hard. It's uncomfortable. It may not be popular. Unloving? The irony is the Bible says the most loving thing you can do is to tell somebody about Jesus. Unloving. Culture is winning, if you will. 
I would argue, are, are, those, are many of those people even believers? To, if they feel that way. Our sole existence is to tell people about Jesus. I mean, the, the world will say, you can't really say there's one way. Or, or the world will say, science disproves the Bible. That's a lie. That's an utter lie. But why does the world put that nonsense forth? They want to shame you. They want to shame you into believing that, that, that the Bible is not true. That, that you're an ignorant fool. That, that you just have this blind, in spite of the facts, we believe in Christ. No, no, no. I believe in Christ and because of the facts. But it's an attempt to shame us. And to just being quiet. Ironically, John 8 says that the father is, that the Satan is the father of all lies. One of the ways that he gets us is through lies. And if we don't know the word well, if we're not completely confident that this is the way, the truth, and the life, listen to me, we will pipe down, we will quiet up because we don't want to look foolish. We're telling on ourselves. You're telling on yourself. We show, this is uncomfortable, listen, we show our shame by hiding, by not sharing. And that's true in all of our life. Listen, I guarantee you most of us in here, there is something about our lives that we hope, that we hope nobody ever finds out about. One of the, way, one of the ways we show shame is simply by being quiet. We hide. We hide, we cover up that which we're ashamed of. Universal truth. Again, Paul sets in opposition to being eager. Listen, think about it. When you see something awesome, when you hear of something awesome, you're eager to tell about it. But shame... Hide it. Be quiet about it. And yet Paul, in spite, of the, in spite of the suffering, was eager. And listen, one of the ways that Satan seeks to do this in our lives, to shame us, is through suffering. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to how Paul connects these. Therefore, do not be ashamed... Of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Almost the same exact thing is said there as in Romans 1 16. Go to verse 12, same chapter, 2 Timothy 1. For this reason I also suffer these things, listen, but I am not ashamed, listen, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Do you see how, you see how speaking up and shame are opposites? Being quiet is linked to shame. How Satan would seek to use suffering to get us to quiet down. But where is Paul's confidence? He says, here's why I'm not going to shut up. Because I'm confident in whom I believed, and I'm confident that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. 
It boils down to the gospel. You see it on your handout. Persecution is always a tactic Satan uses to deter our confidence in the gospel. To get us to quiet up. And no matter the cost, you see it there. Paul was prepared and eager to publicly confess and bear witness to the gospel. If I asked you today, if I threw out the question, are you ashamed of the gospel? I would bet, as believers, we would say no. But let me ask you a deeper question. Do you share the gospel regularly? Do you stand up and defend the gospel even in the face of your friends who don't believe the gospel? Are you willing to stand up? When you hear the Lord's name taken in vain, do you stand up? When you hear untruths spoken about the gospel and Jesus Christ, do you stand up? 1 Peter 3.15, are you ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you and yet do it with generous and respect? Are you ready in season and out of season to stand up? Regardless of the consequences. In your workplace, do people know that you're a believer? In your schools, do people know that you're a believer? In your neighborhoods, do people clearly know that you are a believer? If the answer is, if the answer is no, my question is why not? And I'm, I'm, search your hearts. It may be shame. And Jesus said, listen to me, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Shame always, listen, it always shows up in quietness. We are, we are very loud, we are very proud, we are very quick to, to, to tell about what we boast in, to tell about things that we have pride in. Quietness is the, one of the number one indicators of shame. Again, I, you would say, well, you're not totally denying outwardly. You're not standing up there on the hills and saying, I don't believe in Jesus. But you're not saying that, you're not saying that you do either. Quietness. And, and think about this. I thought about this. And, and I, I hope this illustration bears witness. Ladies, think about this for a second. What if your husband at work, some beautiful ladies showed up at the office and they, he was all standing there with the guys and they were talking about whether they were married or not. What if he put his left hand in his pocket while those beautiful ladies were there? How would you feel? Why would a guy do that? I would argue it's not a lack of pride, at the very least. He may be entertaining something he shouldn't be entertaining. He may care way too much about what others think of him 
Listen, none of those, you would not be, and he didn't say, I'm not married. I'm not married. All he did was put his hand in his pocket. As Christians, are we living with our hands in our pockets? Not, not saying, I hate Jesus. Not saying, I don't believe in Jesus. Not, not going out and doing crazy things. Just living, maybe it's as subtle as just living with our hands in our pockets to avoid persecution, to keep our options open, to be able to play the, both sides of the fence. By the way, Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You love the one or hate the other. Christians, we can't live with our hands in our pockets. We, we can't try to play both sides of the fence. At the very least, wives, you would say, is my husband proud that he's married? He may not hate the fact that he's married, but is he proud that he's married? And I promise you, wife, you would not be happy regardless. And if, you're, if you wouldn't be happy with that, do you think Jesus is more happy when we're living with our hands, Christian hands, in our pockets? When, when we're not proud to be wed to the Savior? Again, not totally denying, outwardly saying, but, but living that way with our hand in our pockets. The, the question is, I, I want to ask us real hard question. Uh, again, is that you? Is that me? I think if I ask the question, are you ashamed? You, oh, no, no, no. You know what? Peter said the same thing. Peter said the same thing. And when it came time to stand up, you know what he did? I don't know who you're talking about. Now, there was redemption. There was forgiveness there. But listen, don't be deceived into thinking. We'll get into this in Romans 12. Do not be deceived into thinking more highly of yourselves than you aren't. Are you completely confident that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way for your sins to be forgiven? Are you that confident no matter what the consequences? No matter what the consequences that may come from believing in the gospel, will you stand firm? Or maybe are you trying to fit in with the culture? You ask yourself some hard questions. Do not be ashamed. Do you really, really believe that this gospel of Jesus Christ is true. That it is not only true, it is the only gospel. Because listen, if it's true, there is no other gospel. And that's why Paul was completely confident that it was, not only was it true, it was the only way someone was made right with God. Because if it's true... Why could, here's why Paul could have so much confidence. Because in John 11, Jesus says that I am the resurrection and the truth. He who believes in me will not die even if he dies. Paul said the same thing in Philippians 1.20. If I die, for me to live is Christ. Galatians 2.20, same thing. If I die, I get Jesus. 
If I live, it's fruitful ministry. Listen, if we really believe that this gospel is true, if someone were to kill me because of it, you know what they've done? They've simply ushered me into the presence of my Savior. I win. And if they don't kill me, I have professed the gospel. They are now fully aware of the gospel. They are aware of the Jesus is Christ, of that Jesus is the Christ. Guess what? Jesus wins. Either way. But it's going to boil down to this. Do I really believe that this gospel is true? Because again, we have no problems boasting in things that bring glory to us. Social media exists, again, for that reason. It's not about, well, I'm just not a boastful person. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. We all are. Pride comes very natural to all of us in here. The challenge is, where is our pride? Or might we be ashamed? The, the beauty is this. This is why Paul will get to it in Romans 9. Paul, Paul holds it out. He shares the gospel and he says this. Those who persevere and hope in Jesus will not be disappointed. That's the hope Paul holds out. In the end, in the end, listen, if your trust is in Jesus, Paul says, you will not be disappointed. No shame. Satan may try to shame you now, and you may have shame heaped upon you by a culture now. But listen, if you persevere in your hope in Jesus, if you stand firm, here's what Paul says, you won't be shamed in the end. You won't be disappointed in the end for those who trust in Jesus. Why? Because the gospel is the assurance of the final triumph that Jesus will bring believers to eternal joy and glory in the presence of their Savior forever. That's the hope of salvation. That in the end, no matter how I get there, I will be ushered into eternal, the, the eternal presence and joy of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And in the end, that will be worth it. But are you ashamed? Because listen, salvation is almost always in the Bible. Listen to me, please. In spite of what popular writers write and, you know, all this nonsense now, 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 now. Listen, salvation is almost always referred to as a future thing. Biblical salvation is, here's what, let me include, we're going to get to this in chapter 5. Biblical salvation is, what is God saving you from? It is, he is saving you from the wrath due your sin. He is saving you from the judgment and the wrath that is due your sin. That is what he's saving you from. Not live your best life now. Not have health and wealth and prosperity now. That's not biblical salvation. Biblical salvation is, I am I am damned because of my sin and God's wrath is justly due me. And I'm trusting that in Jesus Christ, he took the wrath of my sin that was due me. Therefore, I am saved. It's future. And listen, the proof of that, the proof of that future hope is, you know what? I presently stand firm in that confidence no matter what comes. 
The fullness of our salvation is future. And Paul's eagerness to share the gospel in spite of its consequences came from, from, doing, from being confident in this gospel. Confident that this was the only gospel that could save. Confident that no matter what, in the end, those who trust in Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. It's worth it. Yeah, I preached a, a, a series, a quick series, that when I was at Idaho about Romans 8. We'll see this, but it's like taking your, think about it this, it's like taking your kids on a road trip. Suppose, suppose we were going to, we're, we're, uh, somebody here was graciously allowed us to stay in their cabin in March up in North Carolina, and we're making plans, and we're so looking forward to it, and to getting away, and but, there's, but the problem is this. When we leave our house, the problem is this. There's 11 hours between here and there. There's 11 hours. Our kids have already asked, how long is that trip again? And, and, and every time I think about that, I think about it. That's really salvation. That's a picture. We've been promised, listen, there's a cabin waiting for us in North Carolina. You know the hard part? The hard part's getting there. But the hope of that cabin, the certainty of that cabin, the surety of that cabin, the, the reality that when we get there, it will all be worth it. You know what we do? We take off driving 11 hours. Praise the Lord for DVDs. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? Why endure the 11 hours? Because there's a cabin waiting. Why endure the suffering? Why endure the shame? Because there is hope eternally waiting for you, believer. You will not be disappointed. We have told our kids, when we get up to the mountains, we're going to do this, 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 and this. You know what they do? Well, let's go. 11 hours, let's go. Whatever it takes. They're going to ask us 50 times, are we there yet? And they're going to get my answer, sarcastically. If we were there yet, we wouldn't be in the car still. When we get there, we're going to get out of this car. Listen, believer, you're not home yet. You're not there yet. We've been given the assurance. We've been given spiritual power and provision for the journey. We have the tickets in our hand. Listen, we're going to get in that car and the keys to the cabin will be in our hands. We've got to drive 11 hours. And, and you know what, our kids, they, they could say, I don't believe there's a cabin, I ain't getting in the car. Well, okay. But you know what, getting in the car and driving, you know what, that's proof that I believe there's a cabin. I've never seen this cabin. Never been to it. Been told about it. I trust the person that told me about it. I mean, I trust the person that told me it's theirs. I mean, I'm, they're giving me keys. But see, see, see the point? I'm believing in hope. I'm getting in the car in hope. But I'm confident that there's a cabin in North Carolina and we're going to go. Are you confident in this gospel? Or might you be ashamed? 
Paul's eagerness, secondly, Paul's eagerness to share the gospel is rooted in the fact that he knew the gospel was God's power to salvation for everyone who believed. Believes, rather. That's a big difference. Again, this was rooted in the Old Testament. You go back to Exodus 9. You go to Psalm 77. You could write those down. God's power was seen in his ability to deliver his people, to save his people. And it was, it was power. And Paul says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Second statement. Why? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see on your handout, salvation in God's involves God's power in a couple different ways. Number one, to deliver his people from the wrath of God due their sin. We see this clearly in Romans 5. I mentioned it earlier, but listen to 5, 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved. Future. We shall be presently. We get the benefits. We get it in full in the future. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. What are we saved from? The wrath of God. Justly do our sin. Salvation is an escape. God has transferred you. We saw it in Colossians. From the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. You are no longer subject of his wrath. Why? As believers, because he poured it out on Jesus. He was our substitute. God in his righteousness, we'll see it next week, Lord willing. He had to punish sin. And he punished Jesus, who knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5 says, He made him to be sin on our behalf that we might become the what? The righteousness of God. Salvation is a deliverance from the wrath of God. But listen, secondly, you see it there, it's reconciling a sinful people to God as adopted sons and daughters. We, we see that again in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Listen. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That verse right there, listen. It is not unloving to tell somebody about the gospel. It is disobedient to not tell somebody about the gospel. He has committed to you and I, believer, the word, the ministry of reconciliation. It is not unloving. The most loving thing you can do for somebody is to gently and kindly share with them the solution to their sin problem. It is disobedient. To not do that. It's disobedient to do it unlovingly and not gently, as 1 Peter says as well. But it's disobedient to not do it. There, there is a very, again, there is a present reality to our salvation. We have been given the, the title of sonship, and yet there's a fullness. Again, to the illustration, there, the keys are in our hand to the cabin. We know we're going but we haven't experienced the fullness of the cabin yet. It's future. You can write down Ephesians 1 talks about that, Hebrews 2. God, you see it in your handout. God's power to salvation is available to everyone who believes. That's what he says. 
for everyone to, for, for salvation to everyone who believes. And, and this is, again, where the rubber meets the road. We need to understand what that word believes means. We, we need a biblical definition of belief. If it hinges on belief, we better understand what that means. And, and Paul, it, Paul gets to this. Listen, first on your, your handout there, A, a mental assent to facts. There, it involves the, the, the belief of certain facts. You see that on your handout. Biblical faith involves belief in the person and the work of Christ. There's doctrine involved. Deity of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection. All those things. We need to believe those. We have to believe those. But it doesn't stop there. Listen, secondly, biblical belief involves building our lives upon these beliefs. And when we get to Romans 4, Paul is going to use Abraham as an example of this. And, and I don't want to I don't want to dig into them too deeply, but I want to read them. In Romans 4, 18 through 25, listen to this. In hope against hope, he believed. Talking about Abraham. So that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Okay, listen though, verse 20, I love this verse. Yet, so when, when Abraham looked at himself, weak, yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And why? Being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. You know, what he's, you know what his hope was? I won't be disappointed if I persevere in Christ. I will not be disappointed in spite of what I feel, in spite of what I see, in spite of what I'm going through. I will not be disappointed if I persevere in hope. Therefore, with respect to the promises of God, I will not waver. Even though everything about us, you're talking about a hundred-year-old man, you're going to father a great nation. Okay, I got you. I got you. Hundred-year-old man. By the way, long time ago, he got the promise. God didn't give him the promise on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, Sarah's like, I'm pregnant. He had to wait. Had to wait. <coughs> but he built his life on the promise. You see it on your handout. Biblical faith involves a surrender of the will to the promises and the commands and the purposes of God. It's not simply merely giving mental assent to some facts. It involves building your life upon those facts. No matter the cost, no matter the shame. Again, and we pick up on this in our English. It says, to everyone who believes. Notice it doesn't say, to everyone who believed. Something you did back years ago and you've given little thought to today. It says, to everyone who believes. In the Greek, the word there is in the present tense. It signifies continuous action. Continues to believe. Ongoing action. Not just, hey, I, I did something at VBS when I was eight. Hey, I did this when I was nine. 
Hey, I did this when I was 29, whatever. Biblical belief is a present tense. Something that started in the past and it goes on with continued action. Believes. It's the same thing we see in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what Paul writes. I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, listen, in which you stand, by which you are saved, listen, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, comma, unless you believed in vain. Strong words. Romans in chapter 13, Paul's going to get to this as well. Listen to what he says in Romans 13, 11. For not, no, do this knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. Listen, here it is. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Past action of belief, continued belief. That's the point. Persevering in belief. And it's God who is the one who is allowing you to persevere. You're sealed. Ephesians 1.3, you've been sealed. All the other gospels, listen. Why was Paul so eager to preach this gospel? Because he knew that it was the power of God to salvation to everyone who believed. He knew its power. Listen, all the other gospels in this world, listen, they may win converts but they fail you in the end. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ saves you from the final wrath of God and leads to the fullness of joy and pleasures for all eternity. Therefore, there's no need to be ashamed of it. No matter what other people say, no matter what they do, no matter how they treat you, if you really believe that this is the power unto salvation for everyone who believes, stand. Nothing, nothing in the world can do this except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, they do not have a Savior who can solve the problem of separation from a holy God. They do nothing to solve the problem of righteousness. They do nothing to offer sinners grace and forgiveness eternally, once and for all. Only one message brings you into the presence of a holy God, and that's Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the gospel, this gospel is the power. Power. This gospel alone quenches our shame. Why? Because it's true. It's true. Whatever it costs, here Paul's saying, stand in it, hold fast, believe in it. Savor it. Count it more precious than anything else. But God's power, listen, it's not only seen in what He's done for us in crucifying His Savior and sealing us and all that. It's also seen through our faith. Our faith, our perseverance, our standing firm is a picture of the power of God. And what I mean by that is, listen, faith, while faith is a human activity, it does not contain any merit or worth with which God is bound to reward us. Please grasp that. Faith, even faith is not a work that saves. It's a reward. It's a gift. 
Even our faith is a picture of the provision of God and the power of God. And if you don't grasp that, the rest of Romans will not make sense to you. What that teaches us and what Paul is teaching us here, and you see it on our handout, salvation is from first to last God's doing and power. And there will always lie a tension here between this God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And I'm not telling you I'm smart enough to figure it out. I believe they're parallel tracks that get you to the station at the same time. They're both there. But listen, no less God is the hero of our salvation. This is God's doing. There's tension there. But let me caution us to respond as Paul did in Romans 11 at the end of chapters 9 through 11. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him that he might be paid back again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God is sovereign, period. Period. Let it go. Let it be. And yet, you and I are responsible. And you see that picture in Genesis 50, 20. J- um, J- Joseph says, you know, as for my imprisonment and all that, you meant it for evil. Notice, J- Notice Joseph didn't say, oh, don't worry about it, guys. God's got this thing in the bag. It didn't matter. No. You joker sold me into slavery. You meant it for evil. You wanted me dead. Your, part, your sinfulness is part of the reason I'm here. But the overarching reason why I'm here today, God meant it for good. Overarching all of our sinfulness, overarching all of that, Joseph stood right where God wanted him to stand to do exactly what God wanted him to do. Why? Because God is sovereign. God's power, listen to me, it always wins out. That's what he says here. It's the power of God. You see it on your handout. Paul's confidence and eagerness overflowed for him being completely convicted about the gospel. That the fact that the salvation is God's work from start to finish. And yet, we're called to proclaim it. Romans 10. How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. That's our command. God is sovereign, and yet we have responsibility to make morally wise, obedient choices. For Jews, for Gentiles alike, everyone who believes. Listen, even here Paul talks about the solidarity and the singularity of the gospel. One gospel for all people, Jew to Greek, everyone, one gospel. Four times Paul is going to say this. Chapter 3, verse 22, chapter 4, verse 11, chapter 10, verse 4, chapter 10, verse 11. He's going to say it twice. One gospel for all people from the Jew to Gentile alike. Jew, non-Jew. There's no other people. One gospel. One gospel. And Paul stresses here the universal reach of the gospel. Contrary to what our culture says. One gospel for all people. Jesus Christ. God has made promises to the Jews... Those, those were extended to non-Jews through the gospel. The, the, the Abrahamic covenant was fulfilled, is being fulfilled. That you will be the father of a great nation. That as many of your children to be like the sand on the shore, the stars in the sky. God's faithful. And he's doing that. And Paul was not ashamed 
of that gospel. Because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes from the Jew to the Gentile alike. And I pray, I pray that we would have this same confidence. That in no way, shape, or form we'd be ashamed of the gospel. That in no way God, that Satan would be able to shame us into being quiet and cowering down and putting our hands in our pockets, so to speak. That no matter what it costs, no matter what it costs, that we'd persevere, that we'd be, we'd be proud of the gospel. That we'd understand what it is, what it accomplishes. So as we close, as we leave here, contemplate that. Am I ashamed or have I been ashamed of the gospel? Am I truly a believer in Jesus Christ? Continuously believing, not just some point in the past, continuously believing. Does my life, is my life aligned with who I say that Jesus is? Is my life open to displaying the power of God no matter what the costs? No matter what the costs? Am I totally confident? If not, ask, ask God. Ask God to do that work in your heart. Listen, it's the power of God. Ask God. Uh, my, my deepest fear would be none of us in here, that we would all believe, be believers, but that none of us would believe in vain, that none of us would be deceived about who we are. 